as a shepherd, it is my job to warn, warn of error and warn of sin and warn of judgment and to offer the hope that lasts eternally, a hope that one day will be realized. And so both of those realities come to the forefront in our worship this morning as we warn of sin and judgment and offer hope for this life that lasts eternally. Let's pray together. Father, help us as we read and study Your Word that we would worship You and place ourselves under Your sovereign care. In Jesus' name, Amen. I invite you to open your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 1. When we are having physical problems, we go to doctors to try to get to the bottom of our issues. They'll listen to our symptoms. They'll perhaps do some blood work and order other diagnostic testing. We want to know what's causing the problem. And we also want to know what are the steps toward remedy. Sometimes we have problems that we're not aware of. Sometimes there's a, an infection or a disease that is brewing within us and we're not aware of it. And for these, we should be very happy to be made aware. Well, in this section of Romans, God is revealing our deepest need. And it is a need that deals with our life And it is also dealing with our eternity. Paul has already tried to whet our appetite for the Gospel. Because he has told us that the Gospel is fruitful. And that the Gospel is God's power that brings about salvation through faith in Jesus Christ that results in righteousness. He's told us these things already. Well, this righteousness provided by God through the Gospel is what we desperately need. Of this, He warns us in verse 18. Look please with me at Romans 1.18. He starts verse 18 with a conjunction for. Preposition, sorry, but it's really working as a conjunction. For, because... The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And so he warns us, the reason I'm so eager, the reason I'm indebted to preach the Gospel is because the Gospel is fruitful and powerful, powerful into salvation that produces righteousness, And the reason you need righteousness is because God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And men, like you and I, suppress the truth of God through our unrighteousness. As we read through this section, we recognize that Paul answers an important question. Who needs this righteousness provided by the Gospel? Who needs this righteousness provided by the Gospel? And of course, it's only the really, really, really bad people. Not us church people. Well, that's not Paul's statement and that's not God's statement. His answer is everyone. That's what he is going to tell us through chapters 1, 2, and 3. That everyone needs this Gospel. It doesn't matter whether your mommy and daddy were perfectly devout and you followed in their footsteps. It doesn't matter if every time you co- the doors of the church are open, you come. That is not the salvation that God offers. It is not that you do everything within your power to always obey every one of the commandments. That is not Paul's solution to our sinfulness. His solution is the Gospel. Everyone needs the Gospel. He tells us this time and again in various ways through this section. In these chapters, Paul will reveal a variety of ways that man demonstrates himself to be unrighteous. A variety of ways that man 
reveals himself to be unrighteous. And I will stand at the front of the line. As I read God's Word, and as I humble myself before the Lord, one of the statements that echoes in my mind continuously is that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. True understanding of the Gospel puts us at the front of the line as sinners. In the second half of Romans chapter 1, Paul will demonstrate four ways that man's unrighteousness is revealed. Four ways that man's unrighteousness is revealed. We're going to move through this rather quickly because there's more to it than just this concept. And some of this is reiterative. Um, As you look through this passage, it's really hard to come up with a a plan to hit, hit a topic and move on to the next one because they're so intertwined. And so you'll find over the next period of time there'll be some reiteration of truth again and again, but that's okay because repetition is the mother of learning. I'm sure you've heard that before. Paul was not hesitant to remind people, nor was Peter, and nor are we. So the first of the four ways that man's unrighteousness is revealed is this. Man denies God's revelation of himself. Man denies God's revelation of himself. Verse 19, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that, he has, uh, that have been made so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Look at verse 25. Because they exchanged the, what does it say? Truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Pause because I don't want to miss this. There's so many things, so many truths in here that are worthy of articulation and that may get missed if I don't stop right now. It's interesting how he says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped the creature rather than the creator. And then he makes this glorious statement. It's like a side note, but it's not. Who is blessed forever. Amen. Whether you use your mouth to proclaim His praise or not, He is praised. He is glorious. He is glorified because He is majestic. He's God. He's blessed forever. Amen. I want to be one of the chorus who lovingly, willfully praises His name who is blessed forever. I want to be the one of those that echoes that glory from now and forevermore. Amen. Man denies God's revelation of himself. And this leads to another way in which man's unrighteousness is revealed. Man believes a lie. Man believes a lie. We read it just now in verse 25 because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. First, our refusal to understand what God has clearly demonstrated, and then we exchange the truth of God for a lie. Man believes a lie. Thirdly, man misdirects his worship. Man misdirects his worship. Verse 23, they exchange exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And he says the same thing in verse 25, which we read twice already. God has warned His people from many, many years ago with the law and surrounding truth not to cater to idols. Not to follow after the work of their hands. Not to have another God before Him. 
So I want for us to look at a couple of these passages to, to demonstrate God's repeated warning of how this can happen even among those that are in the congregation of His people. Take a look, please, at Isaiah 44. And I, I just love the way that God sets things up when He communicates to His people. That's me. He makes it clear for us to understand exactly what we need to hear. Verse 6 of Isaiah 44, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God who is like me. Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me since I am, uh, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. All who fashion idols are nothing, and the things they delight in do not profit. Their witnesses neither see nor know that they may be put to shame. Who fashions a god or casts an idol that is profitable for nothing? Behold, all his companions shall be put to shame, and the craftsmen are only Human, let them all assemble, let them stand forth, they shall be terrified, they shall be put to shame together. The ironsmith takes a cutting tool and works it over the coals. He fashions it with hammers and works it with his strong arm. He becomes hungry and his strength fails. He drinks no water and is faint. The carpenter stretches a line. He marks it out with a pencil. He shapes it with planes and marks it with a compass. He shapes it into the figure of a man with the beauty of a man to dwell in a house. In other words, here they are. They're working. They, they've decided I have to have something, something to look at, touch, see, talk to, feel that I will know is my God. And so they go to work. And they craft it for themselves. And they put it on a shelf. There it is. Look, your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You remember that one? This is none other than the, the brother of Moses. The spokesman from Moses. Aaron said, bring me your gold. Fashions an idol. Moses comes and what have you done? Oh, we threw the, this golden and out popped this calf. What is wrong with you people? And yet, it still goes on. It goes on in the unsaved world, and it goes on in this wretched heart right here. We fashion for ourselves idols. Well, maybe they're not wooden. Maybe they're not iron. Maybe we don't put them on a shelf. It's one thing or another. It captures my attention. I yield to it rather than yield to Him. I give myself to it instead of giving myself to Him. Oh, it'll give me joy. It'll give me peace. It'll give me satisfaction. And no, 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 no. God warns. Exchanging the truth of God for a lie by worshiping and serving something made instead of the one who makes. Worship God. And this is one of the ways that unrighteousness is revealed in the hearts of man because we fought, fashion for ourselves little idols. Idols of our heart. Idols of our mind. God warned the people of Israel as they were about to enter into the land. In the book of Deuteronomy, He says this, Therefore watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day, that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire. Beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. Now, God is not talking about the fact that you can't have a little flying eagle in your house somewhere. 
Or even one of those ugly bass fishes that turns their head and starts singing to you. I love those little things. I don't want one, but they're, they're, they make me laugh, right? They're singing that, in that deep voice. It's not saying you can't have a figure. You can't set up a figure for the object of your affection. There's the, the issue. Man, in the re- revelation of his unrighteousness, misdirects his worship. Man denies God's revelation of himself. Man believes a lie. Man misdirects his worship. Fourthly, back in the book of Romans, head back to Romans chapter 1, man lives contrary to God's design. So, the first three of these items, man denying God's revelation of himself, takes place internally. Man believing a lie takes place internally. Man misdirecting his worship is kind of a, 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 a both, internal and external. It starts inside, I'm worshiping something. Something has my affection, something has my desires. I think this will satisfy me. And so um, internally I have this desire toward it. And then it starts to work its way out, outwardly in our worship. But then it leads without question. Faulty worship always leads to faulty practice. Faulty doctrine always leads to faulty behavior. Not following God in proper worship always leads to me worshiping something else. And when I worship something else, my acts, the way that I act, is always askew off of the design of God. Take a look, please, again at our passage. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 23, right down through verse 27. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the Creator, excuse me, the creature rather than the Creator, who was blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men, likewise, gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. One of the important realities that this passage teaches us is that upon man's rejection of God's revelation of himself, and their subsequent refusal to worship Him, God gives them over to their own desires. God gives them over to their own desires. God in His righteousness allows His creation to experience the end of their desires. He uses certain illustrations in this text. The first of which has to do with sexual relations. We're going to talk about that. The next section in verses 28 through 32, he's going to talk about lots of different areas that it applies to. There is no sinful area that is not being called to the carpet in this text. It's not limited to just what's written in this section. This is a sampling of the unrighteous behaviors and attitudes of a man or a woman who rejects God, rejects God's truth, rejects the call to worship Him, and lives in contrast to God's designed plan. God gave them up. The word means, has the idea of delivering up one to custody. Delivering one up to custody. 
I want for us to take a look at a few illustrations of this because this is such an important thing. You see, it's not... It starts with our rejection or or mankind's rejection. It starts with a person's turning away from the Lord and the truth of the Lord and misdirecting their worship and it leads to wrong pursuits. But God, upon that rejection, contributes to them a willingness to let them have the end that they are looking for. That cannot be overlooked in this text. Is that what you really want? Is that what you really want? Have it. It's yours. Whenever we have misappropriated our thinking and desired something that we shouldn't have, I'm not the only one, and we finally got what it is we wanted, there's an initial surge of adrenaline and satisfaction, and then... The aftertaste. You know what I'm talking about. That wasn't the right way to go. You felt it before. Right? You felt it. You got what you wanted, and it wasn't all you thought. It it doesn't have the ability to give what you want to extract from it. It has a limited amount the way that the author of Hebrew says, it's the passing pleasures of sin. Let's take a look, please. Psalm 81 first. In the 81st Psalm, beginning in verse 10, we're cutting into the middle to see God doing this very same thing that He speaks of in Romans chapter 1 to His people Israel in a different context. It says in verse 10, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me. That Israel would walk in my ways. You see, God will let you follow your own desires. Now, the context back in Romans chapter 1 is of man rejecting God outright. That's the context and that's the interpretation. The implication does not leave the life of a believer either. The implication is still there for us that we still sometimes deny what we know to be true, exchange what we know to be true for something we know to be false. Sometimes we misdirect our worship and then follow down a a path that's unrighteous. God gives them over. Take a look at Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. God illustrates this concept right from the beginning. You're familiar with, the, with what's going on in Genesis 4. It's Cain and Abel. They bring their offering to the Lord. God has respect to Abel's offering. He has no respect for Cain's offering. The implication is because uh, Abel did it in accordance with the way God demonstrated. Cain did it in a, his own way. And so we have a problem. Self-made worship over against God-ordained worship. Verse 3, In the course of time... Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel Abel in his offering, and for Cain in his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well... Sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. Its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. Every one of us knows what that means. You don't need a scholar to tell you what that means. Because you feel it. You experience it. And in your unsaved days, before you knew the Lord Jesus, and before the Spirit of God dwelt 
within you. And before you knew the Word of God, you might have tried to fight against that sin crouching at the door trying to rule over you, and you were very unsuccessful. And since coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you felt that same thing and wondered, Lord, why do I feel the same thing? Well, here's the difference. There are times when instead of fighting against sin, you strive with the Lord and allow the Lord to to fight against your sin and you see Him rise up victoriously over it. And so instead of sin ruling over you, God rules over you. And that's His place. His place is to rule over you. He's your sovereign. He is the object of your worship. He should rule over you. And when he does, sin can't. But I will also say to you, when sin rules over you, God doesn't. He still has his place as sovereign judge. And he still will bring you back to repentance. But in the moment of you allowing sin to control you, God is not controlling you. There's one master at a time. God says, I'll give, I gave them up. I gave them up. God has demonstrated this. And, and Solomon makes this statement. It's a doozy. In Proverbs 5.22, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him. They trap him. And he, the wicked, is held fast in the cords of his sin. He's, he not only falls into it, he's then held captive. It's as if the cords are wrapped around his hands and his feet and and he, he doesn't know what else to do. He's been overtaken. God has given him up to his own lusts. There is a spiritual bondage. Listen carefully. There is a spiritual bondage that is associated with turning from God's revelation. Don't turn from God's revelation. You look at the world around you and you tell me how it came to be. You look at the stars in space. You look at the sun. Don't look too long. You look and you tell me how is it that we're still moving around the sun without disorder reigning supreme. How did it all just happen? How did we turn from single-celled organisms into multi-complex, beyond our imagination, creations? It doesn't happen. You know it. You know it in the heart of hearts. You, You can't deny it. There's no way that chaos ever leads to order. You know it. Don't reject God's clear revelation of His creative power and divinity. It will lead you on a life of disorder and a lack of control and unrighteousness and upon you will reside, hanging over your head, the righteous wrath of God. And Paul, God, I don't want that for you. So we warn you. We warn you. Rejection of God's revelation of Himself leads to unrighteousness, which leads to judgment. Distorted understanding, distorted truth, distorted worship, distorted behavior. What does God give them up to or over to? Well, he lists at least three things. We'll mention three of them. Impurity. Dishonoring of their bodies and dishonorable passions. Look at verses 24 and 26. Back in Romans chapter 1. Verse 24, as a re- Repetition says, therefore, God gave them up to, or in, the lusts of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. 
He first uses the word impurity in verse 24. Impurity is listed as one of the works of the flesh in Galatians 5 and verse 19. Paul, while writing to the believers at Ephesus, warns them not to walk in in accordance with their old way of life. He says that when you do that, you are walking into every kind of impurity. The Bible gives numerous prohibitions regarding impurity. For example, Ephesians 5.3 and Colossians 3.5. It's just over and over. God says, when they reject me, when they reject me and believe a lie and worship something else, I will give them up. And one of the areas is impurity, which is in violation of the truth of God. He also gives them up to the dishonoring of their bodies in verse 24. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Now just quickly, I'll read a couple of passages. They'll be on the screens to my left and right. The Bible warns against dishonoring our bodies. In 1 Corinthians 6.18, the Bible says flee from sexual immorality. Now that word there is pornea. It's any type of sexual activity outside of the bonds of marriage. That which leads up to and includes sexual immorality. Um, every other sin, it says, a person commits is outside the body, but the, but the sexually immoral person sins, listen to what it says, against his own body. He says something similar from a different perspective in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Listen to what he says in verses uh, 3 through 5. For this is the will of God. That, that should get your attention right there. This is the will of God, your sanctification. That means to be made holy. That you abstain from sexual immorality. That each one of you know how to control his own body. How? In holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles or the unsaved who do not know God. So he gives us these warnings. There's a way to possess your vessel, is the way it says it in the King James. Possess your vessel in sanctification and honor. And then there's a way to dishonor your body. Dishonoring your body is going outside of God's design for human sexuality. Not only does God give people over to impurity and the dishonoring of their bodies, but similarly, but different, He gives them up to dishonorable passions. Dishonorable passions. Any sexual activity outside of marriage is contrary to God's design, is a violation of God's standard of righteousness and is clearly sin. And here, Paul speaks of sexual activity that has an additional element of distortion for homosexual activity is contrary to God's natural design. So in addition to being outside of God's decree, what He's told us about our human sexuality... It's also outside of God's design. Now, there's a lot that could be said here, and I don't want to be ridiculous. Men and women have different bodies. Yes? My wife will not grow a mustache this week for the Iwana mustache night. I could. She cannot. My wife, at one point in life, could bear children. I never could. Why is that? Because God has designed men and women differently. We have different looks and different sexual organs. This is just basic biology. Now, we have come to an enlightened state in the the, uh, 21st century where basic biology no longer applies. Now we have complex biology... And men can be women, and women can be men, and all of these kinds of things. And I, I, this, please, I am not, my intention is not to belittle people that are confused, 
hurting and have themselves out of order. My concern right now is the normative element of it. I have great compassion for someone that is going through what they call today gender confusion. I feel terribly for them. This is not the way it ought to be. This is not in accordance with God's design. This is a result of sinfulness and faulty indoctrination. I am not belittling those that are in an area of struggle. What I am trying to say is it is not to be normative. This should not be promoted. We shouldn't be telling people, hey, listen, don't worry about what your, what your organs say. You can figure out at one point what your gender is. Talk about creating confusion. All right, I don't want to get off on this. Things that are very clear to a sane, common untainted mind should not be made unclear. Two plus two should always equal four. Always. Four plus four should always equal eight. God's design for marriage and sexuality is beautiful. God's design for marriage, and God's design for sexuality. God's design is beautiful. God saw that the man was alone and needed a helper. And He made Eve for him. God joined Adam and Eve together into a sacred union. And this union is a spiritual union. It is an emotional union, and it is a physical union. This is God's design. Sexual activity, whether you like this truth or not, brings about some type of physical union. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. On the other hand, in the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews writes about the honor of marriage and its marriage bed. Listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Listen carefully. Homosexual activity does not fall under God's design and therefore cannot receive His allowance blessing, or be considered honorable in the eyes of God. Instead of this, homosexual activity is characterized in Romans chapter 1 as impurity, dishonoring their bodies and dishonorable passions, as well as talking about it being shameless acts in verse 27. There is just so much here. Well, why, why go to all this extent? Because if someone is convinced of their way, why bother talking to them? Here's why I'll tell you. What, what is so bad about all of this? Well, let's take a look at what the Bible has to say. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look at verses 9 and 10, please, with me. He says, Well, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Surely you can't be telling me that swindlers can't go to heaven. And certainly you can't be telling me that homosexuals don't go to heaven. 
Well, we're not done yet. But before we get to the done, we need to know what God has to say about this, not just what your human sensibility says about it. Listen to Revelation 21. It's a beautiful passage. We're just going to cut into the middle of the beginning section. Verse 3. This will be on the screens to my left and right. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This is a glorious scene. Verse 6. And He said to me, It's done! I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give uh, from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. This is good, good news because we're at the end of the Bible. But the next verse has something to say to us. In verse 8, interestingly, at the funerals, they always stop before verse 8. Look what it says. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters. Oh, those are the bad people. Oh, I stopped too soon. Oh, what does that say? And all liars. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Wait a second. It's the good news at the end of the Bible, isn't it? Yes! It is the good news at the end of the Bible. My friend, you fit. I fit into verse 8. So do my neighbors. The sexually immoral. That covers anyone outside of the design of God. That means sexual practice is outside of marriage between a man and a woman. That means sexual practice is outside of the marriage covenant. It's not just about homosexuality, friends. We're not going to hold up signs. All homosexuals go to the lake of fire. That's not the sign we're holding up. You know what sign we ought to hold up? All sinners go to the lake of fire. And guess what? Here I am. What do I do? You need to know. You need to know the disease that plagues you lest you wind up in the coffin. You need to know the, the plague that, 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 that you have as a disease lest you wind up in the lake of fire? Well, the Bible again and again will tell you and will tell me that sin, unrighteousness, ungodliness leads without question to eternal separation from God in the lake of fire. But He doesn't leave it there. Paul's not leaving it there in Romans. John doesn't leave it there in Revelation 21. And Paul didn't leave it there in 1 Corinthians 6 either. Take a look again at Romans, uh, 1 Corinthians 6. You're already there. 1 Corinthians 6. Look at verses 9 and 10 again. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do you do not be deceived? Neither the sexually immoral, nor the idolaters, nor the adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were, what does it say? Justified! Justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You were justified. You were washed. You were sanctified. Yes, you were homosexuals. You were sexually immoral. You were swindlers. You were revilers. All those things were true of you. But by the mercy and grace of God, we've received redemption. Remission of our sin and eternal righteousness granted. Justification. God removing our sin debt and granting His righteousness. My friends, when a 
when you encounter someone who has a deviation from God's design, they, they think automatically that you're condemning them to the lake of fire because of their homosexuality. I had one come to me one day and as a chaplain and I have to be very careful in my communication and this, this person, oh, you know, you, you think this and you think that. I said, oh, really? Is that what I think? I'm so glad you know what I think before I even talk to you. Let me tell you what I think. All sinners, and we turn to these passages, all sinners, that includes me. The solution for me is the solution for you. No different. No different. It doesn't matter what your fancy of unrighteousness is. Unrighteousness leads to condemnation. So what do I need? I need to be washed. How was one washed? How was one washed? It's by realizing that my sin is an offense to God. It's coming to that place that I recognize that my sin, not his or hers or hers or hers or his or hers or hers, that their sin is that's their problem. My sin is an offense to God. I need to turn from it. And I need to turn to Jesus for forgiveness and for eternal righteousness. See, this is what God promises. He promises the one that turns from a sin and calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That salvation has two main components. The removal of our sin. It is stricken from the record, never to be accounted for again because it's been accounted in the person of Jesus Christ on the cross. And secondly, a record, a record change in the books of glory in heaven. My name is followed by the righteous deeds of Jesus Christ. My record has been changed. The sin is gone and Jesus' righteousness added. I have been justified. Have you been washed? Jesus lived perfectly in obedience He laid down His life willingly as a sacrifice. The call upon you and upon me is to turn from our sin and to turn to Jesus. You see, this is one of the most important points that Paul is making in the passage. I am eager to preach the Gospel to you. I am under obligation to preach the Gospel to you. The Gospel is fruitful in bringing about the power of God unto salvation by bringing God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to the repentant sinner who calls upon the name of the Lord. Everyone needs this righteousness. Do you have this righteousness? Has your record been changed? As we conclude, believer, you, this is all, okay, yes. Feel good? All right. I, I, all, my sin's been covered. Jesus' righteousness added. I, I feel unburdened. That's one of my goals for us every time we leave here is that our focus has been changed from us to the Lord and as a result, refreshing. Another goal is for us to see ourselves in light of the Lord. See, while the interpretation of the passage is for those that ultimately reject the Lord and ultimately believe a a lie instead of the truth and ultimately worship something else rather than the Lord and ultimately live in unrighteousness and and deal in there with the wrath of God, that's the ultimate interpretation, right? For those of us that have been born again, we'd say, okay, well, I know the wrath of God's not going to reside, it doesn't reside on me, and it's not going to come upon me at any point in my life, because I've been, I've been freed from that wrath. That's good. That's good to know this. But that process is very important for us to still understand, because I think it applies to the way that we deal on a daily basis. When we cater to other things before the Lord, what we're saying is, yeah, I know you're there, God. I understand who you are, but I, I have some other thoughts in my mind. And instead of finding my satisfaction in you, I'm going to find my satisfaction in something else. There's my believing a lie. 
And thirdly, I'm going to go after whatever this thing I think is going to satisfy me. I'm going to worship it instead of worshiping the giver. And as a result, my actions will be out of sorts. They'll be out of, the, out of line with God's design. So I, th- I think we deal with this every day. I deal with this every day. Maybe you are more spiritual than I am. Maybe you're more surrendered than I am. Maybe you walk around continuously filled with the Spirit and denying your flesh. I hope that that's true. But I know I deal with this every day. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. Ready? I need the Gospel today so that I'm not out of order so that rather than worshiping the things that were created, I worship the Creator. Rather than believing a lie, I believe the truth. And rather than having my distorted understanding of who God is, I worship Him and love Him and know Him as He's revealed Himself, both in what He has made and what He has written. And you know what happens when the Gospel is empowering me? There is joy and peace and patience, and kindness, and gentleness, and self-control. What do we call that? That's an out-of-order fruit of the Spirit. This is what we call that. Right? That's what happens when we recognize we need the Gospel, and we worship God in accordance with it. My, my actions, rather than being out of God's design, are in line with it. Because He's doing it. I can't. I can't. But he can, which is why we need the gospel. You and I need the gospel today and tomorrow and until God brings about the finality of our redemption and we will sin no more. Let's pray together. Father, we need you. We desire to live and think and worship and believe properly. Help us. And where we are not believing properly, where we are not worshiping properly, where we are not living properly, bring this to our attention and help us to know our solution, our remedy lies with you. In Jesus' name, amen.